Thank you for listening to this podcast. The Ville Church provides all its resources for free. If you have been blessed by this ministry, please consider giving financially. For more information on how to give and other resources, please visit www.theville.church. Everybody looks so good this morning. Give your neighbor a pound real quick, you know what I mean? Say what's up to him. I, um, yo, can we give just a shout out real quick to the worship team? That last song was, was, that joint was hard. I forgot what I came to do today. I got lost up in that thing a little bit. So if you notice, I've been gone. Hopefully you notice. I've been gone for a month. I had a little bit of a sabbatical or whatever and stuff. Um, you know, I would love to tell you I came back super, super refreshed. I'm not as fresh as I want to be, but I'm fresher than I was or whatever, right? Um, and whatnot. So life stuff happens sometimes or whatever. But um, I got to chill. I got to be a little bit lazy or whatever. I had, I had some goals or whatever set out while I was on my sabbatical every day. A smoothie, some vitamins, and some water. If I did that, I felt like I conquered the day. I was like, other than that, I'm just rolling around somewhere you know, looking crazy, staring at a wall or whatever. So I tried to do that as much as I can. Um, All right, so I'm happy to be back. Y'all look beautiful. Everything's still together. Y'all held it down. Um, And we're going to dig in this text today. We are going into 1 John 3. Where's Mark Nettleton at? Is Mark in here today? Oh, he's in kids. Yeah, I listened to Mark's sermon that he preached while I was gone, and he killed it too. Y'all were here for that? Yeah, I got a couple of texts. People was like, you know, hitting the fire emojis and all that, like he did his thing or whatever and stuff, so... So proud of Mark. All right, we're in 1 John 3. We've been going through this series in 1 John. We went through uh, 1 John 1, 1 John 2. We are now in 3. Let me give you a little bit of context. And listen, I promise you, if you have your phone or if you have a pad, make sure you get your pen ready because you're going to catch some of this stuff. And, uh, and I worked hard on it, so I want you to just let it go in one ear and out the other, all right? All right. A um, little bit of context. John is building up the believers, right? Because in the previous chapters or whatever, we saw that there's some people who enter the church with heresy. They're talking crazy, running their mouth, trying to cause division inside of the church. They didn't stepped away from the church. They weren't willing to repent. And now John is trying to do the cleanup work of the confusion that was left, right? And so we get to actually, you know what I'm saying, look in the text and watch as he, look, he attempts to nurture them back to health. He give, he's giving them some clarity theology-wise, theology and he's, he's doing that work. Like, let me tell you what, I know what they were saying, but let me tell you what it is. You got me? So that's the context that we're in, right? And what we're about to witness him do is approach a topic that I think burns in the heart of many believers, right? And one of the things that the enemy often attacks. It's reassurance. It's this idea of like, am I really truly a believer? Does anybody ever... And your mind start messing with that. Like you look in the mirror and you start questioning like, Lord, how's this going to go when I got to stand before you, right? He's touching that, right? It's like, just think about that, just that, that unsurety is not a good thing, right? It's not a good thing at all, right? If you're inside of a relationship or whatever and you got to sit up all night wondering if your, your other is in somebody's arms, that's torture. If you've ever been there before, that's a bit of torture, right? That's not good. You have to wonder about somebody's devotion to you that's supposed to care for you when you just don't know what it is, right? That's, it's not good not knowing. We want to have, we want to be assured. We want to know, right? 
that this love we have with the Father is real. I'm using just a worldly context between relationships, but like we're talking about our eternal salvation. We're talking about the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. That's not something I want to walk around being unsure about, because if I'm unsure about it, then I'm just going to actually betray the gospel and it's not going to be a gift anymore. I'm just going to be working as hard as I can because I'm in tortured. I'm not receiving the love and the gift. I'm working really hard. Y'all get where I'm coming from? And God doesn't want his children tortured. Point blank, period. And he's going to go through that today. That's not what God is looking to do. That's not what this relationship is we have with him. It's not why he sent his son Jesus on the cross for us to be tortured and wondering and living in doubt all the time or whatever. So John is going to go into some specific things in this text as we dissect it that gives us ways to actually know, right? So he starts off in 1 John 3.18. I'm going to go through all of the text so y'all bear with me. I'm going to give y'all a lot of information. I'm excited about it, so I might talk a little quick. So if I'm going too fast, just be like, Jay, slow down. Because I always, after a sermon, like Lana gets in the car, she'd be like, bro, slow down, yo. But I'm on that coffee today, you feel me? Y'all might, don't get crazy. You might see me here with one of them hats or whatever with the joint, you know what I'm saying, with the straws and the two, like two, a Starbucks and a bowl bean in here or whatever, right? Anyway, so here's the text. Let me, I'm going to read the whole text and then we're going to jump back into it. 1 John 3.18 says this, Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. By this shall, we shall know that we are the truth and reassure our heart before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart, and he knows everything. It says, Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him, because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. And this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another, just as he has commanded us. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God, and God in him. And by this we know that he abides in us by the Spirit whom he has given us. So that's our text today. Right off the bat, we're going to hit verse 18. Verse 18 once again says this, little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. Before we go into this, we got to have a good working relationship with the word love. So I'm going to jump over to 1 Corinthians 13, all right? We have to know what he's talking about when he says love or whatever, because we have all kind of cute hallmark ideas about love or whatever and stuff and the way we would just write it. But what is he actually talking about? What is love inside of the biblical text? So 1 Corinthians 13 says, if I speak in tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all the mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith, so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It's not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own, own way. It's not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. There's something I want you to catch in this text. If you notice verse one through three, all of the prophetic tongues give everything away stuff, everything is about I. It's if I do this, if I do that, and if I do this. Verse four and six centers on how we actually treat others, right? And it also holds love as something to kind of away from us that's not just in our innate ability 
right? It holds it like it's something to be gifted, to be helped, to behold, to have all of, right? But it talks about how we treat others. Listen to what it's talking about. Just listen to some of this stuff. It's like love is patient. It's kind. It does not envy or boast. It's not arrogant or rude. It doesn't insist on its own way over somebody else's. It's talking about the attributes that love actually looks like, which if you look at it, is really self-serving to somebody else. It's not the I stuff, which blows my mind because, you know, everybody has ministries like the prophetic ministry or whatever and stuff, and this ministry, and like, you know, by faith I can move mountains or whatever. But this is saying like, that's cute and all, but it's saying like actually loving your neighbor is a more gangster work than being able to lift stuff with your mind or something. Y'all get that? It, it, the text esteems loving your neighbor as this miraculous, heavy, heavy lift. Patience. It's just a cute word we throw around, but you look at it right here, it's like something that we can't actually attain. It's a gift of God. It's a miraculous gift of God. A lot of times our flesh rather do the magical things, right? We rather do things that seem really, really big and gather esteem for ourselves, not serve, right? We want our foot washed. We don't want to be foot washers. C.S. Lewis said this quote. He says, it is easier to be enthusiastic about humanity with a capital H than it is to love individual men and women, especially those who are uninteresting, exasperating, depraved, or otherwise unattractive. Loving everybody in general may be an excuse for loving nobody in particular. That's one of them ouch moments right there. I know some activist folks, and they bout it for real. I know a whole bunch of them that they are the loudest inside of the room, but they wouldn't give somebody who was dying of thirst a cup of water. It requires too much. It requires actual interaction with somebody. It requires taking on the suffering of what it takes to actually do this one-on-one -on -one thing, right? I can get on social media and catch a picture of me doing something real quick and make you think a whole bunch of things, but to really get into the muck and the hard stuff with somebody and everything that comes with them, that's a whole nother deal. So that's what 1 Corinthians 13 is actually talking about. And that's what it's separating. All the fly stuff or whatever that everybody goes running through and looks cute versus getting in the mud and washing some feet while somebody's kicking your face while you're trying to do it. It's distinguishing the difference. What, that's not love. This is what it looks like. So 1 Corinthians 3 is not just a list of attributes, of love's attributes. It's describing what spills out of the heart that's loved by God by way of Jesus Christ on the cross for me and you. It makes more than theologians. It makes practitioners. You got me? Now, it's easier said than done. I got a text the other day from one of my neighbors. Somebody ran over his, uh, like, J.A. little water meter in his yard. And so I'm out of town, and he sends me a text. And in the text, he says, so he says, yeah, back when you had church at your house, one of your people were parked on my meter or whatever, and when they left, the meter was broken. And he said, now the meter is completely broken and shattered in pieces even more, and I was wondering if one of your church people came back to finish the job. 
And he goes, and I know they did it. He goes, I know they know they did it because, you know, he says, I know they know they did it. And I really don't think that is the Christian thing to do. Listen, Lana Harris had to chill me out. <laughs> we were out of town. And so even as I'm probing him on the questions, because he's not the kind of neighbor to not call you if something's wrong. Like, he, he, he's going to hit you up. So I said, bro, are you telling me that somebody was parked on your meter and you never came over and told me or asked them to move or they were blocking your driver, which I really don't even believe is the truth, number one. And he's like, yeah, yeah. And then when he started talking, I realized that he actually never saw anybody break the meter. He actually said in the text, but then he went back to saying, and I was like, oh, so you really didn't. So, I, you know, I said, I said, I don't know what you define as a Christian thing. I said, but I do know the Christian thing is not assuming people did something when you actually didn't see them do it, right? And that was my nice response. And I didn't go crazy. I didn't do it. But anyway, um, and then he said church people like three times in it, like trying to like go at the church. You know, I'm play about y'all or whatever. I was like, I ain't with it. I was like, Lon, I'm about to gut him. And she was like, Jay, Jay, you need to chill. You know, thank God for our wives or whatever, voice of wisdom and everything or whatever. But um, and then I'm sorry. See, I'm working through it right now. I'm still I need some time, y'all. Did one of them come back to finish the job? Are you serious? Like, how do you have the audacity to sit in that? So anyway, you see I'm in my flesh right now, right? Oh, my God. This love thing. This thing is hard to do. That patience. That kindness. These things are not talking about doing this to somebody you think deserves it. This, is, this stuff is all lives in tension. Patience happens when you have a means, a reason not to be patient, right? I need some help. So I didn't cut his throat. I didn't go, I didn't go at him real crazy or whatever. Um, I've been quiet. I've been quiet because I've been like, Lord, I need you to help me. Like, I'm not quite there. So sometimes silence is better than violence, right? But I'm, I'm hoping to be able to talk to him and work through it, right? It's hard. Let's keep moving. Verse 19, this is where we are really looking to get to, because this is where he is talking about this assurance, right, or reassuring, right? He says, by this we shall know. So he just told us, he said, little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. Don't just bump your gums, don't just talk or whatever. But what does it actually look like to actually walk it out? We have a lot of churches, we have a lot of believers or whatever, that they can talk with the best of them. Their theology is through the roof or whatever, right? But if your words sound really good, but the talking that you're doing has not invaded the culture. You get where I'm coming from? You got a lot of churches that preach grace, but grace is not in the culture of the church. Right? You hang around for a while, you realize there is no actual grace in the interactions. There's no grace between the staff. There's no grace between when people mess up, don't get it right. There's no room to not be perfect. The show has to be absolutely perfect, right? It's not grace. It's not grace. So we go with a grace message because it sounds really, really good, but live out a law lifestyle in the culture of what we're doing. And he's saying, nah, this love is not just, you, 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 you know when, and this is personal. I just want us to make this lane on the heart. He's like, you know, by this we know 
when God is doing something in your heart, when it's coming from the words of the page and it's actually working in your heart and causing you to live this sacrificial life, when you're actually moving in love, in deed and in truth. Y'all with me so far? It's like, this is one of the ways you know when it starts to consume you, not because you're good, but because it's overtaking you, because of what God has done on the cross, what Jesus has done is starting to get inside your inner parts and it's beginning to make you move and groove and walk and talk and act like him, right? And lavish people the way you feel lavished by him, right? So he says, by this we shall know that we are the truth, we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. So what does this walking look like? What does this walking, what does this indeed and this truth look like? I'm gonna go to 2 Corinthians 6, right? This is Paul talking, and he says this, 6-4, he says, Rather, as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way. In great endurance, and you know, it's crazy, whatever, I just, want you to, I just want you to think about it. In this text we're looking at, it says, By this we shall know that we are of the truth, and reassure our heart before him. Paul is making a statement like, he's basically saying like, when he says, we commend ourselves in every way, he's saying, he's having the audacity to say, like, I know we're the real deal. I just, I, that, that's just another way of saying it. He's saying we commend ourselves, and, and, and this is how he is betting that they are the real deal, right? It's okay to say that. It's okay to say, no, I'm a Christian for real. It's, that's, not, that's not prideful. It's okay to say, like, I know, what, I know that I'm that, because I know what my flesh does. My flesh is going to choke my neighbor. But the spirit is doing something else that my flesh ain't even comfortable with. If I ask 80% of my friends in the street, they're going to be like, yo, homie, you know what to do. You go knock on the door. Let's go. I'll go with you. So my flesh delights in. Spirit of God is doing something better. Spirit of God is actually making me sit and wait until I actually get over myself to be able to do something that's more godly. I know I'm a Christian because that's not what I do. So I don't mean that it's not a boast in the flesh, it's a boast in the spirit of God. Y'all get the difference? Paul is doing it right here. He says, rather, as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way. He says, in great endurance, in troubles, hardships and distresses, in beatings, imprisonments and riots, in hard work, sleepless nights and hunger, in purity, understanding, patience and kindness, in the Holy Spirit and in sincere love in truthful speech and in the power of God, with weapons of righteousness in the right hand and in the left, through glory and dishonor, bad report and good report, genuine yet regarded as imposters. So when he says that we commend ourselves, he's like, some of these suckers in the street calling us the fake ones, but we know what we are. Our resume is scars. You get where I'm coming from? He says, yet regarded as imposters, known yet regarded as unknown, dying and yet we live on, beaten and yet not killed, sorrowful yet always rejoicing, poor yet making many rich, having nothing and yet possessing everything. That's, that's his claim. That's what it looks like for him. If you are a practicing believer, if you take the words of the gospel series, then you are allowing the weight of God's heart to lay upon you. Then you are in hard things. You are sacrificing. As you are grace to, you are esteeming others higher than yourself. 
It's a lifestyle. It's the Christian lifestyle. According to the text, it's what we are steaming to do, right? We're letting God's version of love lay on top of ours, right? My version is cut my finger off, we take your arm off. That's just the version. He has something better. But do we believe it, right? So John is saying all of this stuff he just talked about. It's not a day at the park. Hardships, distresses, beatings, long nights, hunger. He says, he's saying in this tension is where reassurance lives. Who would have ever thought? You watch televangelists on TV today or whatever, they say reassurance lives in their prosperity. They were like, all right, Jet, homie, what you mean I'm not blessed? That's their resume. But Paul has scars to testify. So somebody's telling the lie. You get where I'm coming from? But he says, in the tension is where reassurance lives. He says, by this we shall know. When you're in the middle of this thing, which, which, which typically oozes out the monster in us all. When we are stressed, when our back is against the wall, right? When we don't have all the resources that we need, when we feel threatened, when we feel criticized, when we feel like, you know, we're going through a hardship, when we're on our way up and then somebody calls us and they need something and now it's going to knock us back. I'm like, man, I just got the budget up to make it here or whatever, but they have a real problem. But it's, you could spare it, but you're trying to get, you know, it's trying to get cute real quick. You get where I'm coming from? This stuff can be done in the flesh, these sacrifices. And then we can try to ring the noisy gong about ourselves, right? I don't even know if, what a gong is. Is that in the text earlier or whatever? I just thought about that. I think gong is the sound, the symbol, whatever. Anyway, I'll deal with this later or after this, but anyway. You get where I'm coming from. Or we can do it through the love of God. So God in his tension, he confirms his togetherness with us, him and us, us and him, right? It's the sweet spot that nobody wants. Nobody wants it. Our flesh doesn't want it, but the spirit craves it. It's like bodybuilders, right? You go to a gym, you ain't doing nothing if you don't feel the burn. Nothing is really happening. It has to burn. It's uncomfortable. It has to burn because... You know, you know something good is happening. Y'all get where I'm coming from? It's the same for us as believers. But in this hard spot, we know, we know that we're not imposters. Even though sometimes it feels like we're dying because we're having to die to our choice all the time. Our time is having to die to our own selfishness because somebody needs something. That's why when I said with sabbatical or whatever, I'm like, I had somebody die, I had somebody going through tragedies or whatever and stuff, and I wanted to rest so bad and not, but Sometimes you just, it just is not, it's just not about you, right? So I got some rest, and I thank God for it. But we're living in the middle of it. 
I'm not mad about it. I'm not bitter about it at all. I'm glad that I was able to be there with whatever little piece of energy I had left. But we, you know, you get where I'm coming from? It says we possess everything. But it's in this tension. You know, Mark, Mark's going to be like, why do you keep talking about me? But Mark corrected me one time, and uh, I think we were doing a cleanup on 21st Street, and he told, told me something or whatever, or, or he gently in his Mark way or whatever came behind me and said something. So I was given like, we're about to do a cleanup on 21st Street or whatever, and I was talking about, you know what I'm saying, God in the neighborhood and all this stuff, and, but I was kind of talking from like, yeah, we used the good old Christians, whatever, coming to bring God to the neighborhood. And Mark, when he comes up, he goes, he goes, yeah, God is already in the neighborhood, <laughs> whatever, right? You know what I'm saying? And, and, uh, and I caught his point, and I know better, but like, you have to know better. You, like, when you talk out loud, you have to lead with that, right? And it's important to keep in front of your heart. So, but he, ever since he said that, and ever since I've grabbed it and really held on to it, you get where I'm coming from? I just keep finding God in Brentwood like crazy. I just keep finding them in Brentwood. You get where I'm coming from? I told somebody the other day, I was like, usually I, I, I take a sabbatical or whatever. You know, y'all need to hear this, whatever. But I, be, I take a sabbatical and I leave and I just be staring at the wall and be like, are you coming back? Are you looking in the mirror? You get where I'm coming from? I couldn't wait to get back. Couldn't wait to get back. It was the best sabbatical I ever had. My hardest thing was keeping my mind from dreaming about the church and dreaming about Brentwood. It's a different world for, for, for me or whatever, just to be honest with you. But I keep finding God in Brentwood. I just feel like we're in a gold mine. Let me tell you what it looks like, right? I had a guy walking up the street the other day. I was down at the house or whatever and stuff, and the guy's walking by, and he comes by me, and he, um, you know, I walked outside, and I was like, yo, what's up, bro? We start talking and everything, and he goes, and, and I don't know, somehow we went in conversation, and I started talking about Jesus. I started talking about my testimony coming to Jesus. Most of y'all know I was about to go kill somebody, and I got saved on the way to go kill somebody and all this stuff, and I'm telling him this stuff, and he goes, man, he goes, you don't know me, but the other week I rode past you in my car. He said, I wave. He goes, well, I don't know you. I just seen y'all at the house. So I waved or whatever. He goes, but right after I waved at you, I went to the store. And he said, and I got in a situation with somebody. And he said, I came back. I gave my friends my phones and everything, whatever. And he said, I was going up to the store to kill somebody. And he said, when I was on my way to go kill somebody or whatever, he said, I got pulled over. And he said, they said I had something on my license. And he said, they locked me up for three days. And he said, and then they had to let me out because it was never on my record. It was like a mistake in the system. And he's like, man. Hearing your story, he goes, I think God just saved me from doing something foolish. I said, bro, I think he did. God's already in the neighborhood. He's waiting for us to get with him. You get where I'm coming from? The other day I pulled out of here or whatever. I come out of here, and in between here and the rental house, um, there's this gentleman or whatever. He's chilling. He's like, yeah, like a little white like Mercedes Jeep. Had his hat backward, big old beard or whatever. And I just noticed him when I rode by, and I pull up to the house, and I'm moving furniture by myself or whatever, right? Next thing you know, I'm in the yard, he comes walking over to me. And he's like, he goes, man, I figured it out, man. He goes, I figured it out. And I'm like, bro, I'm like, oh, God, one of my ops from back in the day, they're coming back to get me, Lord. I knew it was going to come get me, whatever, you know. But he's like, he's like, he's like, I figured it out. And he kept saying, I go, figured out what, bro? And he goes, he goes, I've been seeing y'all. So I saw y'all at the building. Then I saw you pull out, and I saw you come to this house. And he said, and I just kept looking. And he goes, he goes, you don't remember me. He goes, I met you years ago inside of a coffee shop. And he said, and you didn't have a building. He said, and you kept talking about Brentwood. And he goes, 
you're here to do work in the neighborhood, aren't you? He said, you're here for the neighborhood, aren't you? And I was like, yeah, man. And he go, and then he, and then this was crazy. He starts telling me about the history of all the churches in the area. And he goes, normally you talk to a cat, they like, you know, they got all this disdain for the church. They like, me suckers in the church, whatever, this or that. He tells me a whole history about the church, churches around here, and how the pastors were once connected to the community and how they stimulated growth and health in the neighborhood. And then he goes, but they got stuck in the building. And he's like, but you, you out of the building, bro. He's like, yeah. And I couldn't believe it. I felt like God was just giving a crazy confirmation. I still don't know who this guy is till this day. I had no idea. I had no recollection of him. God is in the neighborhood. Y'all with me so far? But it's not easy, right? The other day, a young lady lost her life around the neighborhood. She around the corner, excuse me. And um, and and we, you know, we have a text thread with some of the different organizations and different people. And um, she was a mother. And I haven't got contact with her yet, whatever, but you know, I went up to the store, whatever, and asked one of the gentlemen if he knew their family, if they could put us in contact with her. But the thing is, you know, I replied to the text and said, if anybody knows the family, let us know so we can send food or we can show up and see how we can help. God is in the neighborhood. We're just hands and feet, right? Like we have answers to stuff, right? I'm not talking about like our kind of virtues or anything like that. I'm just saying we have value as God's children to answer some things in the neighborhood. He's already in the neighborhood. He's already in the people in the neighborhood. Conversation I have with grandmas, young cats walking up the block in Brentwood. Brentwood is on fire with God. We show up as servants. You understand? But there's this thing that Paul hits right here. He says, sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. When your love looks like what he described, that's what it is. It's sorrowful, but there's a rejoicing in it. You get where I'm coming from? Because there's no hiding from the reality of what life is. It just simply isn't. Being here feels like walking around with a contrite heart, but also a heart full of hope. It just is what it is. This, these are Paul's words. Sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. Dying, and yet we live on. Poor, yet making many rich. He knows that he's losing a lot by the world's standards, but also making many people rich. Eternally rich. You get where I'm coming from? Verse 20, we keep moving. It says, for, for whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart, and he knows everything. Remind you, we're on a journey right now of a, by this we shall know. And that we know by our love when it spills out into deed and truth. Not that we are earning or buying love or even trying to theatrically do love or whatever, but when the love of God through Jesus Christ begins to pour out of our heart the same way he poured mercy and grace on us. That is what we're walking through right now. We are reassured when that begins to happen 
right? It reassures our heart before him, and it reassures us that we are actually of the truth. And then he says, for whenever our heart condemns us, because the enemy is a straight hater, and he will come condemn you, he will whisper in your ear and say, you, you're a fraud. You, I saw you the other day, bro. Come on now. He's going to come inside. Of, he, he is going to come and he's going to spit. He's the accuser of the brethren. That's what the word tells us, right? But it says, God is greater than our heart and he knows everything. Spurgeon said this. He says, sometimes our heart condemns us, but in doing so, it gives a wrong verdict. And then we have the satisfaction, the satisfaction as believers, the inheritance, right? Of being able to take the case into a higher court. For God is greater than our heart and knoweth all things. You get where I'm coming from? At night when you're in the bed and you feel condemned and you feel yuck and everything else, God is greater than that feeling. When you're bewildered and you don't know the next steps and you don't know what to do, God knows more than you. Right? Whatever voice is whispering in your ear, lying to you or whatever, and saying things that do not consist with God and you know it isn't of the Lord, God's word is bigger and better and better and more efficient and more effective and more true. You get where I'm coming from? He's trying to help us as, 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 the, as the readers here, right? He's trying to help us. The people he's writing this to, he's trying to help them get a little pep in their step, right? He's trying to help them boast a little bit. And if they're going to boast, boast in the Lord. This is, this is one of those... I can't beat you, but my daddy, he can get you. You get where I'm coming from? He's greater than our heart. He knows everything. Your heart, the Bible says the heart is, is, is desperately, it's deceitful and desperately wicked. The flesh does what it does. It'll start off with the tooth, truth and then twist the whole thing. A tooth. You heard that. <laughs> right? A tooth. It'll hit you with a tooth patent in that word. So let me try to use it. Heard it here first. But God is bigger. He keeps going. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, this is the thing though, if it does not condemn us, it says we have confidence before God and whatever we ask we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. We are reassured in his love, his togetherness with us. So we have confidence, right? John 15, 17, he's, 15, 7, he's kind of mirroring that. He says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. I just want to take a moment to bring clarity to this, whatever, because I think most people, when they read this, they're like, yo, whatever we ask, we receive from him, whatever. Like, and then we kind of go into magic genie mode in our mind or whatever. That's not what it's talking about. It's not talking about that. James 4, 4 says it like this. It says, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? among you. Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. When it talks about asking God and receiving, it's talking about having a heart that's aligned with the will of God. You want to know what the best ask in the world is? It's what Jesus said when he was before, before he went to the cross. Father, your will be done. It's the best ask in the world. 
Because I ask like that, what it's actually saying is, God, I believe that you actually know what's best for me better than even what I crave and what I desire or whatever. So I'm actually letting you lay what you, what you have over what I have. It's why Paul, when he says, I'm able to be a base and I'm able to bound, when he's saying I'm able to be without and I'm able to have and still maintain this steady pace and this steady, steady flow of holding on to the Lord, he's saying it because he believes that God is good in all circumstances and all things. You get where I'm coming from? So his, his request is, Lord, let your will be done. Y'all with me so far? Y'all sure I'm not boring, y'all. I saw somebody, one day had one eye was asleep like that. This text is interesting also. Because, you know, if we listen to believers, we hear different kind of experiences. Some believers believe that they're asking God for things. And their interaction with God is that he's withholding things from them. Other believers are like, God is just awesome. He's doing the most, right? So we end up in these tensions with our experience. Some, the other day, a guy called me. He was just like, he was super just hype about the Lord or whatever, just starting to follow the Lord. Then he hit me like a couple weeks right afterwards, and he was just like, yeah, things changed. I think he done kind of fell back a little bit or whatever. And I was like, bro, I told you it's not all fun and games, bro. Like, you know what I'm saying or whatever. Like, God lets us sit in the tension like we do with our kids or whatever, right? I see my kids like falling and stuff. But like Lana's like, yo, let me go. I'm like, chill, chill. Let's, we got to see what they made out of. You know what I'm saying? And she's like, they're on the ground about to, in a mud puddle. I was like, they got to see or whatever. They really about it. They'll drink the mud puddle till it goes down and it can breathe. They'll be all right. You know what I'm saying? Like, we get mad at God when he lets us sit through these hard places, but we do it ourselves or whatever because we know that the tension is what builds us, right? So he's not the magic genie to make the tension go away, but he is the power to help us endure and sustain through. Y'all with me? The work in this text, and this is his commandment. Now, beginning with this, it says, and this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he commanded. That's the commandment. That's the commandment. It's not a, I'll answer your prayers if you do what I ask you to do or whatever. He is talking about what exists in this place where we are in step with God, where God is abiding in us and we are abiding in him, right? But it goes back to belief. The believing part is foundational because believing stimulates your action or your inaction. It sustains or kills your actions, right? If you believe there's a reward, then you might just get up and move and groove. If you're not sure if there's a reward, you might get up, put one side of your leggings on, and just go back to the couch. You get where I'm coming from? Like this, but it's based on what you believe. So he says the work is to believe. John 6, 29 says, this is the work of God, that you believe in him who he sent, whom he sent. You know, it's funny. You ever seen the videos where, like, you have celebrities and the celebrities are, like, working in fast food somewhere and whatnot? Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, they'll get, like, Rihanna or somebody and she's working at, like, In-N-Out Burger or Hardee's or something. Yo, they're always so happy when they're doing it. 
when I go to these places, the workers are often there like, yo, here's your burger, yo. They just toss that joint, whatever. You gotta get like a McFish. The fish is like halfway slid out. All the white stuff is on the other side. I'm like, yo, home. like, you know, they, they hate it, right? But I was just thinking about it. I'm like, yo, why are these celebrities so like hype? You see them in the video, they be like just working the drive through or whatever and everything else. Couple things I came up with, right? They believe and they know it's temporary, <laughs> right? They know it's temporary. They know they got the bag or whatever, right? They're like, yo, we rich, yo. Like, you know what I'm saying? Who cares? We don't care about coming over here to flip a few burgers or whatever. This is fun. You know what I'm saying? This is a little bit of, I need a vacation from rich life or whatever, right? So prosperity awaits as soon as the shift is over. You get where I'm coming from? And they also believe that they have another identity than just what they're actually doing. You get where I'm coming from? They're like, what's my identity? I'm rich. <laughs> you know, because they're like, I'm rich, I'm famous, I'm known, I'm favored, I'm adored, all of these different things. But if you're a believer, you got the bag too, right? Eternal promise, heirs with Christ, this is temporary. God's promise that no eye has seen or heard what he has for his children. Is it not worth temporary suffering? It's better than being a celebrity, what we got coming, I promise you. First Peter 2 says this, says, but if you are suffering for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. To this you recall, because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. Right? He's given this picture, he's like, this is the example that Christ has given us. And that example leads us into this suffering that is not always easy. It's an example that Christ gave. When I'm working through trying to forgive my neighbor or trying to deal with them, when I'm choosing my hard heart, I'm fighting against this scripture. I'm fighting against the example that God gave. You understand? Let me end with this right here. It's the last scripture, it's verse 24. It says, whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. And by this we know that he abides in us by the, by his, by the spirit with whom, whom he has given us. So we get another by this we know in this text. By this we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. When I read that part right there, the first question I had, I said, Lord, what is the spirit doing? Like, what is some of the things that the Spirit is doing that I'll know that the Spirit is actually moving? Um, you look inside of Galatians 4, 6, and it says, Because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of his Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. So the Spirit of God is always telling us that we are a child of God. So the voice in your head is causing you to not be reassured. Then it is not probably God's voice. Because the Spirit is always saying we are a child of God. And even when we feel like we are dirty and yuck, the Spirit is pointing us to the cross, saying that God actually laid on the cross for our sins, that God actually lavishes us with mercy and grace. The Spirit is always telling us to walk in the light and actually repent because there's nothing but the blood of Jesus ready to wash it away. The Spirit is always telling us that mercy is made new every single day. So your sin can't outrun it. The flesh is always looking to condemn the Spirit is telling us, Romans 8, 16, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children 
of God, right? On Pentecost, when the Spirit falls on God's people, this is what happens. Spirit falls. First thing they start doing that Peter starts doing, he starts talking about Jesus, telling Jesus' story, telling what happened on the cross. He calls people to repentance. People are baptized. And then one of the other things the Spirit does right after that is pull together one of the most amazing communities we ever had described inside of the Bible. It says that they were they had all things in common, that they ate, they prayed together, that they were even selling some of their goods to actually make sure they all had what they need. And it was so attractive and so beautiful that said that thousands of people were joining the community because it was that pure and it was that beautiful. That's what the spirit was doing then. And that's what the spirit is still doing right now. Y'all got me? All of this is a gift through Christ Jesus. Y'all stand real quick. We're going to take communion. Let me pray us into communion really fast. God, we just praise you, Father Lord. We thank you for this day. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you for your grace, Father. We thank you for your goodness, Father. God, you give us this communion table for, um, for us to gather around the work of your son Jesus on the cross. That we can stop, slow down life, quiet all of the noise, and take a moment to feel the weightiness of what you've done for us through Jesus. To also be lavish with your mercy and grace, to be made new at this moment. It's not about us feeling like we're not worthy to take communion. Communion is what makes us worthy to take communion. Jesus' blood shed, his body broken, four sinners, him penalized, brutalized, death for our sins. So it's an invitation to receive what he did. It's an invitation for us to actually come partake in the table. So, God, I pray that you would give us grace to hold the weightiness of what that is, Father. Pray that you would gift us with quietness in our soul to hear you and in your spirit and to not just do this as just tradition, but to actually um, really receive communion, Father Lord. Your word says that if we are not believers, that we should not take the table. So we caution anybody who is not a follower of Jesus, Father Lord, but we want everybody here to be able to take the table. So we're here to pray with anybody, walk with them, baptize them. If their heart is stirring and working through that part. But Father, we thank you. And Father, we pray this scripture today, Father Lord, that we just heard today. Let us not love in word and just talk, but also in deed and truth. Let our hearts be reassured, Father Lord, that we are your children, Father Lord. Father, let us know that you're greater than our heart and that you know everything. When, when the spirit of condemnation comes, Father Lord, let us have confidence before you, Father Lord, 
and let us pray according to your heart and what you what you have for us and we thank you father lord help us to believe more and more in what jesus has done and to also love one another father we praise you and we just thank you for um your son jesus and thank you for our time together this morning father in jesus name we pray amen amen thank you